Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. 1 Samuel, chapter 22, verse 6. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul, spear in hand, was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing round him. Saul said to them, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse... None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. But Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's officials, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, son of Atab, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitab, and his father's whole family, who were the priests at Nob, and they all came to the king. Saul said, Listen now, son of Ahitab. Yes, my lord, he answered. Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread? and a sword, and inquiring of God for him, so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today. Ahimelech answered the king, Who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard, and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first time I inquired of God for him. Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing about this whole affair. But the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side. Turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike the priests of the Lord. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Edomite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys and sheep. But Abathir, son of Ahimelech, son of Atab, escaped and fled to join David. 
he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abithar, That day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me, don't be afraid. The man who is seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. The second reading we have is taken from 1 John. It is on page 1226. And it's 1 John, chapter 2, beginning at verse 15. Page 1226. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, this is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is the man who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a man is the Antichrist. He denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Well, just as we are, let me pray for us now. Great and uh, gracious and mighty God, we've been singing the most astonishing truths of uh, how great you are, uh, acknowledging that you have seen the end from the beginning, that you were there before the world began. And so we pray that uh, in humility, uh, recognising that we are so small compared to you, that we would listen to you. Indeed, you've uh, been the one who reached down to us when we were in darkness. And so you've shown us great love as well. And for that reason, may we again listen to you now and believe that what you say is true and for our good. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Please do sit down. Well, let me uh, encourage you to do a couple of things. One would be to open your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 22. Uh, The page number is page 294, uh, the first of the two readings that uh, Rachel read for us uh, just now. So that's page 294 in 1 Samuel 22 as we continue to look through uh, 1 Samuel. Uh, This is the second in our series. We'll be looking through it for the rest of this term. Uh, The other thing you might like to do if you like these things is to dig out the uh, the little uh, handout, the sermon outline, Uh, Whether you like taking notes or not, it might be useful for you to see where we're going, and uh, that's in your bundle as well. Uh, As most of you know, I used to work in the newspaper industry in marketing, and ever since I've been fascinated by the power of advertising, and come to that, the cost of advertising. Uh, Did you know that during the X uh, Factor final, watched by uh, just under 10 million people, I wasn't one of them, Um, A 30-second ad would cost £200,000. Of course, that doesn't include all the costs of making the advert, uh, of commissioning an advertising agency, of shooting the ad, all of that. £200,000 is simply the price of showing the ad just once for 30 seconds. The sums of money involved in advertising are eye-watering. But brands such as Sky, Sainsbury's, BMW and Coca-Cola were willing to spend around £6 million in the X Factor ad breaks because advertising pays. See, the truth is, as we watch cool people driving a BMW, many of us begin to want to be like them and drive a BMW. As we see the packages that Sky offer, people believe it will make life more enjoyable. And even as we see happy, beautiful people drinking Coca-Cola, we want a can of fizzy pop because we think it will make us happy and beautiful too. Of course, the truth is, you drink too much of the stuff, it will make you fat, but that's another thing altogether. The lure of the world is enticing. That's why uh, companies spend a small fortune on advertising. The promises that the world make to us are extravagant, way beyond anything that they can deliver. But like magnets, our hearts feel almost irresistibly drawn to all that the world offers. Of course, sitting here in the cold light of day, you and I know that while the world offers so much, it doesn't deliver but we still find ourselves pulled towards it. I do. So we need all the help we can get to see what it's really like and see where we really will get what we ought to have. And to get the help that we need, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 22 is a great place to go. There are two main characters in this part of 1 Samuel. There is King Saul, who, as we saw last week, was the king that... Israel chose in the place of God to be their king because Israel wanted to be like the world. Saul then represents a life under the leadership of the world. And Saul was in opposition to David. So Saul is actually the Antichrist because David is the Lord's anointed, literally the Christ. So he represents a life following God's king. So there we have Uh, David, uh, the life of following God and his ways and his king, and Saul, the Antichrist, against God's Christ, uh, represents the way of following the world. We join the story in verse 6 where we learn that Saul, King Saul, has discovered where David and his men are hiding. You see, ever since the prophet Samuel anointed David as the Lord's king, Saul, who was actually seated on the throne at the time, has been trying to destroy Uh, David 
And so in the last few chapters before this, David has been a fugitive on the run. And at the beginning of chapter 22, we read in verse 1, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So there's David holed up in a cave. And with him, verse 2, are all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented. And end of verse 2, there was about 400 of those men who were with David. So that's the situation. David, God's king, he didn't look much like a king at the time, surrounded by nobodies and no-hopers, rejected by the king of this world, in danger of his life in a cave. It all reminds us of another, hundreds of years later, the son of David, the Christ, who was surrounded by no-hopers, tax collectors and sinners, rejected by the kings of the world of that time, Herod and Pilate, whose life was constantly in danger, who had nowhere to lay his head. And so here in chapter 22 and verse 6, we see first uh, the first heading on the handout, the contrast between following the Christ or the Antichrist. Verse 6 makes the comparison between David's situation that we've just seen in verse 1 and 2 and Saul's. Verse 6, now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered and Saul, spear in hand, was seated under the tamarisk tree on the hill at Gibeah with all his officials standing round him. Do you see Saul there at ease, very much in contrast to to David? Uh, He's not hiding in a dark cave but sitting out in the open under a tamarisk tree, not surrounded by a bunch of losers but with his servants all around him. As I picture Saul, he's kind of leaning back in his chair with the sun shining, enjoying the shade of the tamarisk tree, with a long, cool glass of uh, orange juice, shall we say, in one hand, and with his servants standing close by, ready to wait on him hand and foot. Oh, and there's one more detail in verse 6. In his other hand, he holds a spear. It is the spear that he has repeatedly thrown at David, trying to kill him in previous chapters. It is the spear that forced David into hiding for fear of his life. And so as we see this contrast between these two kings, it asks us the question, who would you rather be with, Saul or David? And just in case our mind is still not made up, look down to verse 7 and see how Saul offers his servants a life of materialistic luxury and success. See, Saul comparing himself to David, Saul says in verse 7, Listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse, that's David, will David give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Obviously, he's saying, he won't do that, but I will. As we've already said, Saul represents the leadership of the world. And isn't this exactly what the world offers us? An easy life of materialistic luxury, fields and vineyards. A successful life and a position in this world. Stay with me and you could be commander of thousands. Watch the ads on television. It's the sort of thing that they promise us. Listen to aspirational speakers. Hear what's said to our children day in and day out. Work hard and the world's your oyster. You can be anything you want. All this could be yours. Let's not just put the the blame on what we hear from others, though. Listen to the dreams of your own heart. For me, often at the moment, I must be going through some sort of 
crisis. I was going to say midlife, but I've gone beyond that, so it must be a different kind of crisis. I find myself daydreaming of an easy life, of of a hassle-free existence. What I would do to have that. And when I do dream of that, I find myself wandering to my retirement, thinking that's when it's going to come, hassle-free life. And in my daydreams, as I think of retirement, I have good health. The sun is shining. I can play tennis all day. I don't know what my wife will think of that when I do that, but this is my dream. My children, grown up now, are happy and well and successful and well-adjusted, and I have no financial worries. Why is that in my dream? Where's that going to come from? It is, of course, a ridiculous pipe dream. Life isn't like that. I should know that. I take funerals of people who don't even make it to retirement. I spend time with people who are struggling in their retirement because of crippling bad health or or because their own children's lives have brought them many worries and concerns. But you see, the world around me and the dreams of my heart promise me an easy life and it's very enticing. For you, you may be too young to be dreaming of retirement. For you, it might be success and recognition that you dream of, to get somewhere in your career, to be respected in your field, to be a commander, if not of thousands, then of hundreds at least, hundreds of people looking to you because you're so great. It's what the world offers. And it's so enticing, not just because the world offers it, but because our heart wants it. It's what the politicians are offering as we rapidly head towards the general election. Pick me. I can give you security and a better quality of life. Isn't that what we're hearing all the way through the process? And it is so appealing. It certainly appears to be so much more attractive than following God's king, David, in a cave, on the run, surrounded by a bunch of sinners who no one else wants to be with, life in danger, hassle insecurity who wants that so from the contrast between following the Christ or the Antichrist to secondly over the page on the handout the reality of following the Antichrist and the first thing when we look at the reality of following the Antichrist is that there is no security See, as we look more closely at Saul and his words, the dream of a life of luxury and success begins to be seen for what it is. Again at verse 7, Saul said to them, that is the officials, his, his servants standing around him, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commands of thousands and commands of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie in wait for me as he does today. (laughs) Start to listen to these words and look at them carefully. You see, Saul is deeply insecure. Very obvious in verse 8. His conspiracy theory is sheer paranoia. He believes everyone around him is out to get him, even though there's not a shred of evidence that his servants are anything but loyal. Then look at verse 7 again and see who his servants are. They were all sons of Benjamin. That might not mean that much to us until we remember that Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. It turns out Saul's servants are all from his own tribe, all from his own family. This uh, nepotism probably flowed from his paranoia, which made it difficult for him to trust anyone, so he had to put family around him. He's deeply insecure. And then again in verse 6, even as he sat under the tamarisk tree, enjoying 
a life of apparent luxury and security. He couldn't relax. He had one hand on his spear just in case someone tried to stab him in the back. And even his words in verse 7 tell us of his desperation. He thinks he has to try and persuade his servants not to follow David. So he offers them luxury and status. They're not thinking of going anywhere, but he's got to keep enticing them. Saul, the leader who is just like the world, is not as secure as he first looks. And that's the reality of following the leaders of this world. The world offers so much It seems to offer security, but none of it is so secure. It's all very shaky. When we're clear thinking in the cold light of day, we know that. We look for security in our finances, and a global economic downturn snatches all that away. And we need to keep remembering that, because as we start to get back on the upward direction, we're going to forget what happened in the last few years. We look for fulfilment in our career and, uh, well, either we don't get that fulfilment or redundancy hits and it's gone. We look for happiness in materialism and we find that the excitement of new things very quickly fades. And even if we avoid redundancy and financial struggles, hanging over us all the time is the shadow of death that will take away all our dreams in a moment. I came across this story on the BBC website this week. Here's the quote. Just over a year ago, two days before the start of the new cricket season, Tom Poynton was one of county cricket's bright young prospects. And then, in one fatal instant, the lights went out. The Derbyshire wicketkeeper was in the passenger seat of a Ferrari Spider when his dad, Keith, lost control and crashed into a tree. Keith, 57, died instantly, while Tom suffered serious leg injuries. Overnight, the then 24-year-old had to face up to not only the loss of a parent but also the real possibility he might never play cricket again. The world can't give us security. And we see that in Saul. Despite having so much, he wasn't secure. But if that wasn't bad enough, as we read on, we see that following the world's leaders doesn't only fail to give us the security that we crave, but we also begin to see that the world is cruel Vicious cruelty, verses 9 to 17. See, as, Paul, as Saul's paranoia kicks in, up steps Doeg the Edomite. You see him uh, in verse 9. Doeg the Edomite first appeared back in chapter 21. Now, we've not looked at 21. And so let me tell you a little bit about that chapter. Uh, David, by that time, was on the run from Saul, and he went to a guy called Ahimelech, who was the priest. In order to get some supplies, he needed food, and he wanted ammunition. Well, he wanted a sword. Now, when David got to this priest, Ahimelech, um, he didn't tell him that he was on the run from Saul. Ahimelech did ask him lots of questions, but of course, David had been the great commander of Saul, and so he was, it was quite understandable that Ahimelech presumed that David was on Saul, the king's business, and Ahimelech gave David what he asked for. The important thing to note is that Ahimelech was in no way disloyal to King Saul, no way. And while all this was going on, this character, Doeg the Edomite, witnessed the whole event, and he knew that Ahimelech was completely loyal to Saul. He heard it all. But now, here we are in chapter 22, and Doeg, who really wants to get what Saul can offer, Doeg pipes up, verse 9. 
I saw the son of Jesse, David, come to Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, at Nob. Ahimelech inquired of the Lord for him. He also gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Now, what you know how it goes. What Doeg actually says here is true. It's just not the whole truth. He just doesn't actually paint it as it really happened. He tells it in a way that sounds as if uh, Ahimelech the priest was against Saul and on David's side, but that wasn't it at all. And he's doing it because uh, Doeg is desperate to get into Saul's good books. Doeg wants everything that Saul, the world, can give him. And Doeg's words leave Ahimelech and all the priests with him in a very precarious situation. And so listen to how the story unfurls. And as you listen in, know that Ahimelech the priest tells the truth all the way through and he's been completely loyal to Saul and watch for Saul's reaction. Verse 11. Then the king sent for the priest Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, and his father's whole family, who were priests at Nob. And they all came to the king. Saul said, listen now, son of Ahitub. Yes, my lord, he answered. Ahimelech's approach to Saul is full of respect, you see. But it's not reciprocated, verse 13. Saul said to him, why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies in wait for me as he does today? Ahimelech answered the king, who of all your servants is as loyal as David, the king's son-in-law, captain of your bodyguard and highly respected in your household? Was that day the first day I inquired of God for him? Of course not. Let not the king accuse your servant or any of his father's family, for your servant knows nothing at all about this whole affair. But the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and your father's whole family. Then the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priests of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they didn't tell me. But the king's officials were not willing to raise a hand to strike against the priests of the Lord. Now we see what Saul is really like. He promises to give security and luxury. In reality, he is a bloodthirsty tyrant. He won't listen to the truth. He's not bothered about the facts. He's threatened by David and anyone who appears to be against him, Saul. Saul is hell-bent on eliminating anyone who is for David. Anyone who's for the Lord's anointed. Saul's servants won't have anything to do with this murderous intent, but Doeg the Ebedamite is there and desperate to get Saul's approval. Uh, What follows is a bloodbath. Verse 18. The king then ordered Doeg, you turn and strike down the priests. So Doeg the Ebedamite turned and struck them down. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod, that is uh, the priest. He also put to the sword Nob, the town of the priests, with its men and women, its children and infants, and its cattle, donkeys, and its sheep. Here we see who Saul really is. Saul is against the Lord's anointed. He is against the Lord's Christ. He is the Antichrist. Now, put like that, it sounds rather melodramatic, kind of apocalyptic. Sounds like the sort of language you only expect in a a dark horror movie. But the Antichrist is the language of the Bible, and it's not as kind of out there as you might think. 
Uh, Keep your finger in 1 Samuel 22, because we're going to come back and finish it in just a moment. But come with me to 1 John chapter 2, the second of the two readings uh, that uh, Rachel read for us. Page 1226 is the page number, the first letter of John. Page 1226, 1 John chapter 2. And here we will discover about the Antichrist and uh, see that it's not quite as out there as it seems. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Do you see that? Satan is the Antichrist. But you see, there are many antichrists. There are many who are against Christ. And note that as John describes the antichrist, he doesn't talk of bloody carnage or especially wicked and evil people. Indeed, as you look over to chapter 4 and verse 2, we read this. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is to do this, to deny that Jesus is the Christ. And that is the spirit that is in the world. To be Antichrist is to say Jesus isn't the Christ, that Jesus isn't the answer to everything we're looking for. That Jesus isn't the one who alone will meet my needs. That he isn't the only one who can save me. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. That's the spirit of the world around me. By the way, somebody made a helpful point between the services. I don't mean by the world all the beauty of the beautiful things we see. I mean the world in rebellion against God. And so as we turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, in Saul we have a picture of the Antichrist. One who is against the Lord's anointed. And we see where following him will eventually lead us. And that is, it will lead us to death and destruction. We've just seen that in verses 18 and 19 in the Acts of Doeg, the Edomite. See, we see here in chapter 22 the most ugly moment of mass slaughter. Just as we do in parts of the world today as wicked, murderous monsters cut down God's people. It's happening in Nigeria, in Somalia, and most recently in the news in in Kenya. It's happening under the banner of IS. Those kind of headline-grabbing atrocities are the work of the Antichrist, and they are particularly heinous, a particularly heinous outworking of the deeds of the Antichrist. But please be sure to see that following the world and looking to other things to give us what only Jesus can give us is just as much a work of the Antichrist. More subtle, and in some ways for that reason, more dangerous. As we follow the world, despite all the promises of a life of luxury and ease and security, the truth is the world gives us no security. It exposes us to vicious cruelty, and it will always eventually end in death and destruction. By contrast, see at the end of the chapter what it is to follow the Lord's leader. Our third point on the handout, the security of following the Christ. You see, when this awful massacre happened, there was one, just one, who escaped the bloodbath 
verse 20. Abiathar, son of Ahimelech, son of Ahitub, escaped and fled to join David. He told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I'm responsible for the death of your father's whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who's seeking your life is seeking mine also. You will be safe with me. There's a lovely contrast right at the end here between David and Saul, between the Christ and the Antichrist. David took responsibility for Abiathar's safety. Just as David's greater son, the Lord Jesus, takes responsibility for ours. The Lord Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He takes responsibility for our lives and for our safety. For Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me shall be saved. Safe with Jesus. Although, again, looking at what David said to Abiathar, we could understand if Abiathar had difficulty in seeing the logic of David's words. Do you see it there in verse 23? The one who seeks your life seeks mine also. You'll be safe with me. Doesn't seem quite right, but it is actually the logic of the gospel. And if we followed it through, it does make sense. We see the logic in this graphic story, for it's clear that you are not safe with Saul. Uh, You might appear to be. But in a moment he can turn and he'll have you. Following the world's leader is to be offered much. But to walk in that way is to walk in a way of no security. Where everything offered will actually be taken away. Where the leader has no concern for you. And eventually it leads to death and destruction. But as we'll see in this these next chapters that follow, following the Lord's leader, the Lord's anointed, following the Christ, is to find safety in an unsafe world. It is to find security in an insecure world because ultimately it is to find salvation in a sparkling new world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I know my heart, and I guess uh, many here, if not everyone, knows their own heart too, that we are so easily drawn uh, to the sparkling things of this world. We uh, love the things that we hear about that seem to be so wonderful. And so we thank you that in your kindness, in your word this morning, you've shown us really what the world is like. And we do pray that you'd help us to believe that, not just now as we're sitting here, uh, but uh, tomorrow and in the weeks ahead as we watch the news, as we listen to the ads, as we hear people speaking of the wonderful things they have. Help us to see that world is not as secure as it looks. And help us more, uh, both today and in the next weeks as we look at 1 Samuel, to see how the Lord Jesus is the one where we'll find security. He's the good leader, good and on our side, loving us and doing what is best for us. Help us to believe it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.